This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm joined by John Thompson, who is the global head of advanced analytics and artificial intelligence for CSL Bearing, and also a best-selling published author, which I'm excited to, to kind of hear more about. So, John, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome. Thanks, Kyle. Glad to be here. Um, good morning, good afternoon. I'm, I'm not sure which time zone you're in at this point, but uh, pleased to be here. Yeah, I was just checking some of the analytics, actually, on, on that note. And uh, yeah, we've had uh, listeners from Australia, India, Finland, Norway, the UK, parts of Europe, various parts, and then across the US as well. So um, yeah, I think we've got every time zone covered just about, and probably multiple days as well. So um, so look, really glad that you could join us, John. Um, really appreciate you, your time. Um and very excited to kind of jump into the topic. But I guess before we get to that point, why don't you just kind of give us a, a brief introduction into your background and your journey to date? Absolutely. Thank you. Sure. I've been at this for 37 years. I started out way back when out of college as a uh, assembler programmer, if anybody remembers that language from days of yore. A uh, few years after leaving uh, undergraduate, I got a, a master's degree in marketing and then I found a, a small company called Metaphor Computer Systems, which were focused on doing nothing but data and analytics. Well, at the time, it was data warehousing and business intelligence. But uh, And then I went on a path for the next three decades, three plus decades, where I've been focused on analytics, machine learning, AI, information management. Uh, you know, I've run... I ran the advanced analytics division of Dell. I was an analyst at Gartner for a while, and now I'm the global head of advanced analytics and artificial intelligence at a biopharmaceutical company. So I've uh, been on both sides, building products and then using those products uh, to help people make a difference in their business. Good, good. Yeah, lo lovely insight. So thank you for that. I guess in terms of your role now then and where that sits within the organization and obviously the you know the type of work you're doing and the the, the value from a business standpoint which you're you're trying to drive with your team where, where does that all sit and piece together as far as the bigger bigger business goes yeah our team is uh made of data scientists and some visualization experts and and a few developers that help us develop applications so we uh, really focus on the entire business. So, you know, at this point, we're, we're really focused mainly on our plasma business. CSL has a plasma collection business and then refines that plasma into protein-based therapies and then distributes it to patients around the world to help maintain their quality of life and save their lives in some cases. Uh, so we do work for manufacturing, supply chain, um, you know, pricing, uh, pretty much any part of the organization can come to us and say, you know, we think we can do a better job in this area and what can advanced analytics or AI help us do. So we're, yeah. we're sort of an internal consulting firm. So we go yeah. where we're needed and we build what people want. Yeah. 
Absolutely. No, I've, I've heard um, many people say the same thing when they've got a centralized function, you know, you're trying to, uh, I guess, consult yourselves out to, to help the, the broader business in, you know, across every function and every area, um, which is obviously uh, a very good thing. So I guess jumping into the whole piece around your books then um an area that that fascinates me in terms of how people end up on that path um whilst also working in industry full-time i guess as well so um a very well respected author bestseller and we had a little discussion off air around you know that and, and where those books have got to but i guess give us a bit of insight into that kind of you know why how did that come about you know what, what was your purpose for doing that and, and kind of you know what, what's unfolded since yeah absolutely thanks for the opportunity to talk about the books i uh I was flying around the world for Dell and I was meeting with many non-technical C-level executives, CEOs, COOs, CFOs. And every time I started talking about data and analytics and algorithms, you could see them tense up. You could see that they were <laughs> reticent to talk about this topic. And I thought, why are they so, you know, why are they so upset about this? Why does it make them so nervous? So uh, I just figured out that, hey, the, the we're different. You know, us analytics people, we're just different. That's all there is to it. So, you know, I wrote the first book called Analytics, How to Win with Intelligence. It's a small book, it's 200 pages. I figured, you know, it's for executives. So short attention spans. Um, you know, get on a plane in Chicago, fly to London. You will have read the whole book. Uh, and, and it was successful. Lots of people read it. It really talked about who to hire, how much to spend, what you, you can expect, what a team can do, what a team can't do, you know, all those different kind of things. So it, it was always in the top 20 in the analytics category on Amazon. So I thought that was that was interesting and fun. I really enjoyed doing it. So then the end of last year, uh, 2019, I thought, okay, I'm going to write the compliment to that book. I'm going to write a book for the people like me who have to have to build an analytics function, who have to hire people, who have to manage that team, have to connect with executives and subject matter experts and IT and, you know, bring it all together to build analytics and models to actually drive change in a business. So I said, okay, that's the book I want to write. I'm interested in it. So I sat down on January 1st and pressed the first key, uh, January 1st, uh, 2020, pressed the first key. And in uh, April 13th, I had written, um, you know, a hundred thousand words. So I cranked out a, an entire book in about two and a half months. Uh, and then I, 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 I found a publisher in February, March, around that time frame, And I told them I wanted to have the book on the market by June, June 30th. And they did. So I wrote the entire book and wrote it and published it, edited it in six months. So, you know, and it's turned out as we've talked about, it's in the top 1% of all sales on Amazon of all books, not just the analytics category. Yep. And people are really, really resonating with it. I'm having people who are undergraduate students, graduate students, people just entering the workforce, people have been in the workforce for 20, 30 years, coming back and saying, oh my God, this is the book I've always needed. I've always struggled with these problems. I never knew how to do this. And you've laid it out so clearly. I'm, I'm really pleased with the reception the book has gotten. Yeah, no, that's um, that's fantastic, especially as I presume you're still working full time, right? So that's nights and yeah. weekends you you pull yeah. in there, I imagine, to get hundred thousand yeah, well, words. Yeah, you and I talked. Uh, I grew I grew up in Michigan in the Midwest here in the United States, and it's mostly farming country. So I grew up working on farms. You know, be there at four in the morning. You know, milking <laughs> the cows and doing whatever work you had to do then. So yeah, it's just the way I'm programmed, I guess. So I get up early in the morning. I started as early as three, you know, and start writing. And then when the day 
starts, I go to work at my day job. And then at night, I obviously fall into bed and sleep like a baby. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess jumping into the topic then, um, obviously around competitive advantage and, um, you know, you and I had a great discussion offline about adopting quickly or getting left behind and how that gap is getting wider and and bigger as the days and weeks and months go on with businesses that aren't adopting or are adopting at at the right level or as quickly as they should be. Um, I guess going back to the book, obviously perfectly titled in terms of how to win with intelligence. And I guess that leads into, you know, today's topic um, about how, you know, data analytics, adoption, strategy, capabilities, et cetera, how that's going to make you successful as a business or not, or at least help, you know, make you successful. But I guess if you want to win using data analytics, what are the key considerations in your perspective? That's a, a great question, uh, and it's something that I get asked all the time. So I, I've talked about it a lot. Is that why? Last, you, uh, that's why you. That's years. why you wrote the book, right? So you didn't yeah, have to exactly. answer the question. Like, hmm, it, seems, <laughs> it seems to keep coming up. Let's, uh, maybe I can broadly uh, address this for folks. Uh, you know, it's really intriguing. You know, as I said, my office is uh, you know, well, my virtual office now, my inbox, my text message or email or whatever it is, um, you know, is wide open. I always tell people in CSL. Do not spend time thinking over these ideas that you think will help, you know, you can do data science to help with. You know, if you think you have a pricing problem, you probably have a pricing problem. Or if you think you have a supply chain problem, you probably do. Uh, You know, don't don't overthink it. Just show up and, and just tell me what your problem is. You know, just get it out there as fast as you can. Because when people sit and think things over, they generally smooth off all the rough edges. And generally in the the rough edges or the outliers or the edge of things is generally where, you know, advantage can be made. You know, sometimes those crazy ideas can be converted into really interesting systems and interesting analytics. You know, we did something without giving away any competitive information. You know, our analytics team undertook the challenge of really examining uh, the price model in one parts of our business. And we analyzed it very deeply and we found out that, there was a way that we could incent the people in that business to do the things we wanted them to do with us and disincent them from behaviors that we didn't want them to undertake. And we could all do it with price and we could do it easily and smoothly. We could communicate it. And we, we did that and we got the business to believe in it. We had to sell them on that. And then, you know, they adopted it. And now we're starting to see in the marketplace, people doing exactly what we predicted what they would do. You know, we gave them the power to manage their own relationship and the own benefits that they received. And once they understood what that price model did, the way it went up and the way it came back down based on their behavior, they started changing their behavior. So, you know, it's one of those things that you just want people to show up and and just say, you know, hey, I think I got this problem. Well, okay, let's look at it. Now, just saying that you have a problem doesn't you know, make any real difference other than you're self-aware to realize you have a problem. Uh, You know, you have to then have the data and the wherewithal and the will to do it. Uh, If you have the data and you have the people who have the subject matter expertise and you have the analytics team and the IT team that's willing to work together, then you can actually build an analytical system that can be put into production that makes a difference for your business. And many of these people, you know, often think, oh, it's it's going to take a year to do this, or it's going to take longer. Well, sometimes it does, you know, you got to figure things out, you got to work through many, many different issues. But 
in most cases, you can actually make a big change in a business in just a few months. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's all it's all really interesting stuff. I guess to to kind of shape that a slightly different way, if if there's businesses out there, and, and as we discussed offline, there are a whole host of them now right across every sector. Everyone's starting to take notice that. I should be doing more with data analytics, even the businesses that are really far on that journey. So if there's businesses out there that I guess are at the start of that journey um, and you know maybe don't have the expertise internally and all that type of stuff, like what you know what what advice do you give to those type of companies in terms of look these are the kind of three or four key things that you probably need to think about you know from a really high level perspective. Yeah, you know, there's as we talked about, you know, McKinsey's done some great re- research on the leaders who are really hiring data scientists and just rocketing forward with advanced analytics and AI. The people in the the vast majority are just basically what you said. They're thinking about it. They don't really know how to go about it. The, in the late majority, I, I don't know if they'll ever catch up. You know, the mm. the train has left the station, so it's moving pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but if you're in that area where you're thinking, mm, we should do something with data, we should do something with analytics, uh, you know, you can, one of the things you don't want to do is just hire a data scientist and drop the weight of the world on that person and say, fix it. You know, <laughs> that just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, you know, you need to have an idea that, you know, if you're going to get into this, then you're going to have to invest. You're going to have to hire a leader. You have to get a, you know, someone like a VP of analytics or chief data officer. You need someone to lead the function because they have to connect with other senior level executives. They have to get their budget. They have to work with all the different areas we've talked about, supply chain, manufacturing, finance, uh, and they have to work with IT as well. So you just can't put this on one person's shoulders. You know, someone's two years out of college and say, poof, you know, mm-hmm. magically fix this. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So if you're, if you're committed, then, you know, you need to hire a team and that's, you know, six, eight, nine, 10, 12 people you need to, to really get it off the ground. Now, if you, if you're really skeptical and your CEO or CFO or, you know, whoever holds the power in the organization says, we're not ready to jump into the pool and hire a team. Well, then, of course, you know, there's tons of consultancies out there. There's all the big ones like Bain and McKinsey and all those all those folks, and they're very expensive and they're very good. So they will do great work for you. And then there's the next tier down with the, the Tatas and the Wipros and the Infosys and all those kind of folks. They do analytics as well. You can try a project, you know, go out and hire one of those consulting firms, you know, get together your subject matter experts, your executives and your, your data people put together a charter and, and try it, see if it makes a difference in your business. Um, so those, those are, you know, you either jump in all in and hire a team or you go get a consultancy and see if it actually, you know, if your business can actually accept, you know, what analytics are tell you, telling you. And if you're willing enough to change your operational procedures to accept an analytical model, giving you input and, and uh, suggestions on how to do better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, everything you just said there is, I guess it's kind of ironic to a certain extent because that's what obviously my line of work, what you said not to do is exactly what I'd say about 60, 70% of organizations do. You know, they're, they're not willing to, they're not willing to invest and go and hire someone, you know, like yourself and pay them a a six figure salary um, to come in and and kind of give them that strategy and that roadmap and shape it and build the team. But they don't want to go and, you know, employ a, a Bain or a McKinsey or, you know, an Accenture or whoever to come and do that for them and prove the value. And, and often then what happens is, you know, they do exactly what you said not to do, that they go and hire a data scientist. Uh, it's, I guess, in their eyes, a 
a less risky um, alternative, and you know, and, and then invariably when it doesn't work, um, it's a case of you know oh, this this data science thing doesn't work for us. You know, we can't do it, and and then you know they'll revisit in eighteen months, which is just yeah, crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I guess- the, the bottom the bottom line, the the way to frame that up is that it it is a less expensive way to go for yeah. sure. There's no doubt about that. You are 100 percent right, and everybody that thinks that it's going to be less expensive, that is true in the beginning. It is prone to about 99% failure. So it's hugely risky. Uh, And in the long term, you're going to spend all that money and fail. And then you're going to wait 18 months and you're going to lose market opportunity. Then you're going to go back and you're going to do one of the other two two paths that we talked about. So in the end, it's more expensive and it's riskier. Yeah, absolutely. However you want to do it. Yeah. Of course. So I guess we're going to jump into that and kind of unpick that in a little bit more detail then. So I guess you talked about their market opportunity and, you know, I guess trying to eat up market share to a certain extent, I guess, first mover advantage is, is that, a, is that a thing? And, and, and if so, you know, what are the benefits and, and risks, I guess, associated? Depends. Uh, it is a thing in some marketplaces for sure. And, and that's usually where you're completely disrupting a marketplace, you know, um, like, Uber and Lyft, you know, the, yeah. the cab, the cab marketplace, sure. First, first mover advantage, big deal there. Um, in analytics, maybe kind of, sort of, possibly not, uh, you know, because you hear it, it's cliche and it's a little trite, you know, every business is a data business. Well, okay. Yeah, sure. Every business has data. I'm not sure every business is a data business. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want my plumber to be a data plumber. You know, <laughs> I want them to make the pipes not leak. That's what I'm interested in. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, first mover advantage, it can happen almost any time. You know, let's talk about a, an example. When I was at Dell, we worked with a Northern European bank. Um, they were grand, they had their global business, but we weren't working on the entire business. We were working on Northern European consumer loans. That's what we were interested in. And in everybody that does loans, whether it's in Tokyo or Chicago or Manchester or wherever you happen to be, you know, everybody in a market says, this is the risk threshold. If we grant loans past this point, or let's say past this point, you know, these will have higher default rates and, and we don't want those loans. Those are too risky for us. So what we did with this bank is we said, okay, here's what the market acceptance on the risk threshold is. We think through analytics, better analytics and faster analytics, we can get you 5% more market share. So you've got 5% more of the market nobody's going to go after because they don't think it's profitable. That's too, there's, there's not enough margin of error in there for them. So <clears throat> we went in there and we did that. And we found out that we had to refresh the models every four hours. So, you know, we were ingesting data, we were refreshing the models, we were automatically stuffing them into the production system. The credit analysts were sitting there, they had their terminals. We took a little piece of screen real estate and we plugged in the score for their, for their loans that they were looking at. And that, you know, was coded red, green, yellow, just very like everybody else. And that was a key factor. So they, you know, two or three years, I can't remember, I think it was three years later, you know, they granted... I don't know, millions and millions of loans, dollars or euros in loans, and their default rate had not gone up. So it was hugely profitable. So would you say that was first mover advantage? I don't know. They've been granting loans for hundreds, if not thousands of years around Mm -hmm. the world. And we just 
decided it was a better way to do it. So, you know, yeah, first mover advantage in some disruptive markets, yes, but you can certainly disrupt any existing market with analytics yeah. if you have a, you know, a, a, an intelligent way that you can prove out that it will actually work. Yeah. It seems more just the the principle of using analytics to do that, right? As opposed to it being necessarily first mover advantage. Because as you say, a lot of businesses have been doing what they've been yeah. doing for hundreds yeah. of years, but it's just, is there a way to to get that marginal one, 2% gain that, you know, in a lot of industries is multi-million dollars, yeah. pounds, euros, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yeah. Decades ago, you know, we were working with BT. Uh, I ran a UK company and uh, this is ancient history, but you know, BT was going after this new thing called the home market, the home office market. You know, nobody worked from home and they didn't have high speed internet lines and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, we were analyzing their price model and, and they had two components. And one, they said, well, you know, we, this has to be a flat fee. They won't pay any more than this. And this we can charge whatever we want because no one cares about it. And when we did the analysis, it was completely the reverse. <laughs> so, yeah. It's one of those things, you know, people just guess at what they're, what they're trying to do. So we actually looked at it through a bunch of different data sets and came back and said, you're completely opposite. You know, if you go to market with this pricing model, it will not work. And we had one person who was a very brave soul uh, and he said, okay, I believe you, uh, you know, you've convinced me that that's right. So he took a gamble, he changed the pricing model and BT made billions of pounds, you know, on addressing the home office market because they had the pricing model, right? Yeah. Everybody else went to the market with this other reversed pricing model. No one liked it. It was like, oh, I don't want to pay that much. That that I won't pay for. I don't understand that I won't pay this. I don't care about whatever you want to charge me. I'll, I'll go with it. Mm. So, <clears throat> you know, you can do lots of great things with analytics. You just need to, you know, go at it and get the data and, you know, find the insights. Yeah, absolutely. I guess slightly off topic to a certain extent, but how important is that whole piece around the the willingness to change? Because as you say there, if that gentleman or, or lady from, from BT decided that mm, they didn't, they didn't, you know, they weren't buying into what you were telling them and they went to market, it's billions of pounds lost. Right. And I guess one of the things that ha- that I hear a lot of is, you know, people are working within businesses, within analytics, doing some really great stuff um, and bringing some really great insight. And then they never see or hear about it again. You know, that, that change doesn't happen. So how, Im- how important or imperative is that, you know, to, to see results, to kind of win with intelligence? It's, Kyle, it's, imp- it's of the highest imperative. There's no doubt about it. We see it all the time. You know, we, you know, I've seen it all the time. I shouldn't say we see it all the time. I, I've seen it throughout my career where you go do some really interesting analytics, you get the data together, you find something that's just really rock solid, you feel great about it. You go to the business and they're like, mm, no, we've done it this way forever. And I'm two years away from retirement and I'm not taking a challenge, a chance and shelve it. So it's of the highest imperative. There's no doubt about it. And, and in the book, you know, that's, there's, there's a whole chapter about managing executive expectations you know, when we undertake a project and, you know, and I've done this for years now, it's, it's just proven to be, you know, bedrock. And what, what you do is that <clears throat> we always do a project and we have to, we always have to have a subject matter expert with us because we know data and analytics, but we don't know the, the, the current pricing model. We don't know how the supply chains operate on a daily basis. We're not subject matter experts. 
So we need subject matter experts to help us because we'll do the modeling and they'll look at it and they'll go, you know, that's really cool, but you didn't take into account that in this market, we go to market in this way. And in that market, we price that way. And, you know, you're missing some of the market dynamics. So we can't do it ourselves. So if we don't get a subject matter expert from the line of business, we don't do the project. Yeah. And then if we don't get the executive who's the head of the line of business to sit and talk with me and understand that we're going to take your subject matter expert, they're going to meet with us for every week for a year. And in the end of it, we're going to have a system that we're going to bring back to you. We're going to show it to you. We're going to prove it to you. And then we're going to want to change how you do business. We're going to want to change how you go to market. We're going to want to change how you do price. We're going to want to change how we distribute products to our partners in a supply chain. And if they say, I won't give you the subject matter expert and I'm not interested in changing, we don't do the project, you know, because, you know, we've done enough projects where we didn't get that buy-in that we got to the end and they said, thanks, but no. Mm. So I don't really want to spend a year of my time or nine months or six months, two months or two years or whatever it takes of my time and my team's time to have someone come back and go, not interested. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's some some really great points there. You the first around domain knowledge because I think that's something that often gets overlooked. You know, so many businesses they'll, as we said, go and hire a data scientist and they're just kind of left to drown and they don't, you know, they don't even know the ins and outs of the business and the nuances of how it works. And and obviously, you know, as you said there, getting that buy in from the start, you know, it's almost like it's a non-starter if it's not there. That's um, yeah. really really interesting. Okay, so I guess. Moving into the whole piece around adoption, and we kind of touched on the investment part previously, but does does the speed of adoption and and then investment, the the kind of amounts of investment, define the level of success in your opinion, where you've seen it work the best? No, not really. You know, you have to you have to pay for the team. There's no doubt about it. You have to pay people their salaries. Most people don't volunteer to do this work because they <laughs> you know want to be altruistic. This is a commercial enterprise for all of us. So you got to pay for the team first and foremost, and then you got to buy the team, the tools they need. You know, you don't send the gold miners into the ground with a a toothpick. It just doesn't work either. Uh, So, you you know, you get your cloud services or whatever you want. I, I tend to hire younger people uh, because there's a lot of benefits to bringing in people from right out of undergraduate university or graduate level. Um, and, and usually the younger people who are data scientists are using open source tools, R, Python, you know, mm-hmm. R, Shiny and things, things like that. Um, so the tools don't really cost much, um, you know, and you can put it on Hadoop if you wanted to. A lot of people say, oh, Hadoop's dead. I don't want to deal with that. You know, I don't care. Snowflake, um, you know, Postgres, Oracle, Exadata, whatever you want to use. Uh, it doesn't really matter for a data, data storage platform. You got to pay for all that stuff, of course. Um, but you don't really need to, to spend millions and millions of dollars on this. You know, a good data science team can be hired, paid well, and given all the tools they require for about a million bucks. You know, it's, I mean, it's not chump change. It's not something that you just go throw in the gutter because you didn't care about it. But, you know, if you're talking about a, a multi-billion dollar organization, it's not a huge investment. Yeah, absolutely. No. And I guess then from, I know this is kind of a, you know, how long is a piece of string type question, but you know, if you're going to invest a million dollars or pounds or euros or whatever the case may be, 
and again, I appreciate it's dependent upon the business and the sector and what they do, but how how long do you think that it would take for the business to see some kind of, you know, results, outcomes, ROI, value, whatever you want to call it off the back of that? Yeah, let's let's say let's take the worst possible case. You know, you you've spent your million dollars, you've hired some loudmouth like me, they've got a, a bunch of people on their team and you know, they, first of all, they got to, you know, find their desks, you know, or, or you got to give them, you know, a couple months to find their feet, you know, and understand, you know, if you're hiring them into, a, you know, let's say a, a biopharmaceutical company and you don't know anything about biopharmaceuticals, you're going to expect that you're going to have to learn a little bit. So give them a couple months to, you know, figure out where the soda machine is and how to get their coffee and things like that. And then, you know, you're, you're someone like me is going to have to work with the senior level executives and in that two months, find out you know, what do you really, where, where's the business hurting? Where can we optimize? Where can we improve? We'll find that over, you know, the first couple of months, maybe three months, something like that. We get a list of projects and then we connect with those, those C-level executives and we get the subject matter experts and start working on it. And at the six month mark, you should have some initial results. You know, you should be able to go back to the executives and say, we think that we can optimize the price model in this way. You know, not that you've done it, but you certainly found an area that's promising that you can go to work and do some different things on. You know, we found some things in manufacturing. We found some things in, in retail operations, uh, you know, over and over again. So in six months, you should be able to go back to the to the executives and say, yes, we found these five areas that we're going to that we can attack. Which one or two? Because if you have a, a decent sized team, you probably do two or three at a time. You know, which one, two or three are your top priorities? Yeah. And they say, oh, yeah, well, that one, that one, and that one really causing us heartburn. All right, well, we'll start working on that. And then you come back in the next month and you say, okay, project one is going to take a year. Project two is going to take three months. Project three is going to take, you know, an hour and a half. And, <laughs> and it's really funny. We have done things like that. You know, people have come to us and said, oh, this is really hard. It's going to be just absolutely so difficult to do. And we look at it and we go, well, we'll have the answer for you tomorrow. And they're like, what? <laughs> You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not that hard, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll just do it for you. Don't worry about it. We won't even, you know, start a project you just tomorrow. We'll get the answer. It's nine. Here it is. <laughs> Interesting. No, that's, uh, that, that's really good stuff. I guess one thing that I'm obviously, I, I guess, fascinates me, obviously I'm based in the UK, um, but work across the US and the UK primarily, um, is some of the differences that, that you see. And I guess my my view on this is that for whatever reason, the US seems to be, uh, you know, generalization here, but much further forward on that journey from a data analytics standpoint. And, I, and I've, you know, failed to put my finger on why. I didn't know whether it was more of a, a willingness of adoption and investment, hence my, my prior question. But um but yeah, you know, and I guess you guys are, are now, you know, the CDO thing's been around for a fairly long time in, to com- in comparison to where we're at here in the UK. And now, you know, you've got the, the CDAO or the CAO as well and the whole defense versus offense type of, of debate going on. Um, why, do, why do you think that is? What, why, why are there differences across the world in different kind of geographical spaces with this type of stuff. Have you been able to kind of put your finger on, on that as, you know, through your research and writing your books and stuff? Yeah, it's mostly through personal experience. Uh, you know, I lived in London, you and I talked about it. I, I love the UK. I love London. And, uh, you know, I was there 
you know, years ago and sitting down with a, a senior manager of a, of a business talking about doing some work with analytics and data. And he was very excited about it and said, oh, I, you know, we're right in a line. I can see it. You know, we're going to be able to do some things together in the short term. And I'd lived in London long enough to know that my short term was probably not the UK short term. So I was thinking <laughs> five minutes and and I said, well, what, what is the short term to you? And he said, oh, yeah, within five years. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's just cultural differences, you know, mm. people just are work at different speeds. You know, uh, it's interesting. I had, um, you know, the, the global head of analytics for a Fortune 50 company email me a couple of weeks ago and say, hey, I'd really love to talk to you about what's what's happening. And he's in Switzerland. So we were talking about it and his boss is in the United States and his team is in Australia or, you know, it's a truly a global, globally distributed function. And what he was finding was that since his boss was an American, you know, he was moving so much faster than anybody else that he, on his peer level, because they had different bosses that were European or Asian or, uh, you know, in South America or wherever they happen to be. So it's a lot of it's cultural. You know, the, you know, we Americans are just, you know, we're just go, 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 which of course is crazy. Uh, you know, there's pros and cons to it. So, yeah. you know, we just, we just tend to push harder on different things. That's all. But, you know, the UK will get there. It always does. You know, you always, you guys always catch up or you, you lead us in many areas. And sometimes, you know, it's a little tortoise and hare story, I guess. You know, I've seen many UK companies doing things that are just mind blowingly great. You know, it's just different ways of thinking, you know, where an American will come at it from the top, you know, the Brits will come in from the bottom, you know, you just, it's, it, the speed is different. That's for sure. Yeah. The approach is one better than the other. No, they're not mm. generally you end up in the same place, just different ways of getting there. Yeah. No, that's, uh, it's, it's really interesting because I say, you know, in my line of work, you just you have a conversation with someone with the same job title from similar sizes of organizations and you can see where they're at on that journey is just, you know, it's miles apart. Um, so it's really interesting to, yeah. to kind of hear your side of that, you know, from working on both sides of the, of the pond. Um, so I guess something that you're obviously very passionate about because you wrote a book about it um, but we we often hear about from people around building teams and you know trying to get that blend of skills and how to get the most out of the teams and the structure and and, and all that type of stuff but I guess something that you mentioned when we spoke offline around um, you know some of the stuff that's in your book around managing people in this space and and you know people in this space being different to how businesses manage other people, um, maybe. Um, so what, what's your experience there? You know, how, how do you go about managing high performance teams within the realm of data analytics? You know, what's the recipe for success? And I guess, where have you seen things go wrong, if that makes sense? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots to talk about there. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um, you know, the, one of the things that I have innovated, uh, and I haven't heard anybody talk about it, I'm sure other people do it, they probably just haven't given it a title, is that, you know, I, I always give a, each data scientist their own personal project portfolio. You know, the three, three P, triple P, PPP, however you want to say it, doesn't really matter mm -hmm. to me. But, you know, data scientists, for the most part, are introverted. You know, they, they don't, you know, this whole thing with COVID, horrible, terrible just just really disruptive for the world and, and deadly for some people. I mean, my heart goes out to families affected by it. But, 
you know, when you when you think of a data science team, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you know, we're not going to an office. This is terrible. You know, without fail, all the data scientists are like, yeah, we're not going to an office. This is awesome. You know, <laughs> yeah. they love to stay home. They don't want to go to meetings. They don't want to sit in rooms with people. It's just not their gig. So, mm-hmm. you know, people asking me, oh my God, how's your team doing? I'm like, they're great. They're happy as clams. They, mm-hmm. they never want to go back to an office and neither do I. <laughs> yeah, so that works out pretty well. But, uh, you know, one of the things that you find out about data scientists and the folks in the data and analytics field is that while they're introverted, they're, they, they have what I call as a Ferrari brain. You know, their, their mind is running a million miles a minute. You know, and this whole idea that, you know, I give you a project and you work on it with these seven people for two and a half years and then it's done and you go do something else. That doesn't work for them. That's not who they are. So what I've come up with is the, the, the personal project portfolio is a portfolio of projects that you as a data scientist own. Now, of course, you report to me. I'm your boss. I get that and all that. But, you know, I'm going to give you two major projects to work on. I'm going to give you two or three, maybe four small projects to work on. And then we get the business coming to us almost on a daily basis going, hey, I really need to understand the relationship between donors and price or volume and price or you know, these four factors. I can't figure out why no one's going here. Why aren't they doing this? Or, you know, so we get these, you know, especially around board meetings, you know, there's all the, you know, people come running over, John, 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 I've got to present to the board, you know, help me with these three factors. I'm like, okay, fine. So, you know, uh, each data scientist gets major projects. They get small projects, major projects, usually nine months to two years in duration. Small projects, a couple weeks, a few hours, maybe, or now maybe a few weeks to a couple months. And then these other requests, a couple hours each. And, and that's your workload. Now, how you manage it and how you get it done, I don't care. You know, if, if you work from six in the afternoon till three in the morning and that's when you like to work, cool. Stay up all night, sleep all day. I don't care. Um, you know, data scientists are unusual people and they're very creative. You know, that's one of the things that people don't understand and don't think about is that the data science profession is a very creative profession. Now, they're not putting out Starry Night like Van Gogh or, you know, creating David or, you know, they're not chiseling, you know, marble like Leonardo, but they are creating very creative models and theorems and working with data in new and interesting ways. So if you ask them to work on one project, for the longest period of time, they will actually grow cobwebs in their brain. They will just wilt on you. So if you give them a, a universe of data now or a universe of projects, and you know, sometimes you can't get the data. Your subject matter expert went on paternity leave. You know, this person quit the organization. You know, there's just all sorts of things that happen in analytics projects. They don't go in a linear fashion. Mm-hmm. They're very iterative. And sometimes you get to a point in a project and there's nothing. It does not work. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if that's the only thing you've been working on, that's kind of depressing. Yeah. You know, you know, you get to that point, you're like, I just spent six months and it didn't work. That's really a bummer. So if that's the only thing you got, then you're kind of like, what do I do now? I'm, I'm a little panicky. But if you've got four other projects you're working on, you just put that one in the corner for a few hours until you figure it out, sleep on it or whatever, and then you go work on something else. Yeah. So it really works out that it gives the data scientist a sense of autonomy, a sense of empowerment, a sense that they own their own destiny and they can fail. You know, and it's not that, 
you know, you don't want people to fail, of course, but people do fail. I mean, I want them to experiment and try things that are hard that they've never done before. And, you know, there is that sense with all of us, at least in data science, there is that sense of, you know, oh, God, I failed. I'm, I'm a little worried about what's going to happen to me. Is John going to be really mad at me? No, nope. you're actually going to go in the next week's meeting. You're going to stand up in front of everybody and go, I screwed it up. And, you know, and everybody's going to go, Ooh, I did that two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, it was bad, you know, and we all learn from it. We all celebrate that and go, yeah, well, maybe you should have tried this. Or you should have tried that or. You know, it's one of those things that many good things come from this personal project portfolio. So, you know, that's one of the things that I put in the book and I've been shouting from the rooftops, you know, it's, it's out there for everybody use it, you know, that's, that's uh, the way I found that a team works best. Interesting. So we're kind of talking about there, if you kind of summarize it into a a few words, it, it seems like a variety of different projects that these people effectively self-manage and have full autonomy on how they how they deliver what they deliver when they deliver why they deliver all of it it's all true excellent okay so because we start to try and wrap this up john then i guess the um and i guess probably slightly blends into our previous topic about the cultural differences and where people are at on that journey from an organization perspective you know in different parts of the world but Artificial intelligence, it's in your job title. Um, I don't think there's there's very few people that have it in their job title here in the UK. Um, I guess, especially here in the UK, it's become this silver bullet, you know, that's going to determine all your success and, um, you know, it's going to solve all your problems overnight. And there's so many businesses that are at the start of their journey from a data analytics standpoint that that's what they jump to. That, that's the thing that they need to have for whatever reason that is. Um Loads of organizations and people talking about it. Very few, especially here in the UK, which are doing it and delivering huge amounts of business value from it, you know, at scale, um, which leads me to think it's probably quite difficult to productionize given the fact so many businesses are trying and they're in this kind of cycle of proof of concept, proof of concept. Um, obviously, um, I know the US is much again further on in that journey from an AI perspective, but 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 why? Why is it so difficult to productionize? And I guess why again? Why are you guys a bit bit further on on that? Well, I, I think you know if you have AI in your title, it immediately makes you taller, younger, and smarter. So you know, that's why I put it in my title because I need all of that, of course. Um, you know, I, a lot of it, it we've already talked about. You know, it, you know, adopting AI has has factors of all the things that we discussed. You know, the people that get into caught into that POC cycle, it's usually because their executives don't believe in it and don't support it and don't give them the resources to put it in production. Many of those POCs actually probably came out with a, a kernel of, of, you know, value that they could have used, but they chose not to. They throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, they're looking for things that are usually unrealistic. You know, they're saying, oh, well, if we are not going to jump 13 points in market share by this one application, then we're not going to do any of it. It's like, really? What was the last thing you did that jumped you 13 points in market share? Start the company, maybe, you know, 92 years ago or whatever it was. I mean, you know, the the, the, the expectations are just unrealistic. So um, people need to realize that it's, it's a crawl, crawl, walk, run journey. You know, when I started at CSL, I had people coming to me and going, oh, boy, you know, you're the AI guy. You know, you're going to, you know, all the buildings are going to turn upside down and, you know, people will walk on air and we're all going to have flying cars tomorrow. It's like, no, we're not, you know. 
So in many organizations, we started out just doing basic descriptive statistics, you know, to help them understand what their business looked like because they were not data driven. So, you know, the journey was to get them to understand that they could be data driven, you know, and statistics can help in that area. Then we do some descriptive work and then we do some predictive work and, you know, and on up the analytical maturity curve. So it's one of those things that you just, I, just, I never walk into a place and just go, poof, AI, here it is. You know, it, it takes a while. Yeah. No, it's really interesting and um, definitely something that I think I've experienced is, you know, as you say, most businesses or you know execs that they kind of look at this and it's been you know it's been talked talked about for, for so long for you know so much chatter around this topic that I guess when they then see what it's actually doing or can do in their business and you know it's it's only moving the needle you know that one percent when they're you know in their minds for whatever reason are thinking it's going to transform you know revolutionize their business you know into something else so that's interesting okay so I guess wrap this up then John um obviously you've mentioned about your book Amazon that type of stuff but where where's best for them to get hold of the book is it Amazon there it is yes Amazon's the best place this is the the new hardcover version that was just published this week. So nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, Amazon, just go out and type in, you know, building analytics teams, it pops right up. And uh, I appreciate anybody who's interested enough to to find it and possibly buy it and read it. Nice. Well, we'll put the the links in the in the podcast notes um, to the book as well, so people can get hold of it fairly easily if they want to. Um, and I guess, are you happy for people to kind of reach out if they listen to this and would like some advice? And if so, what's the best format to, to get you on? Absolutely. Always happy to talk to anybody in the data analytics field. Um, LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Just look for John Thompson. I usually pop up at the top of the list. I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in connecting with anybody in the data analytics field. Uh, you know, I've been getting a lot of offers to help me start my own franchises for Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's. I'm not interested <laughs> in that. So if that's your business, I wish you the best of luck, but don't contact me. Fair enough. Well, John, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for kind of coming on and sharing all your thoughts and, and wisdom with us. And um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Kyle. Have all a right. good day. Thanks, Talk sir. Bye bye. Bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week.